obviously, just to kind of start off, um, if you don't mind doing a quick intro and uh, kind of a quick summary of your background. Yeah, I'll do my best to be quick. Uh, I am Neil Bedwell. I am one of the founders of Local. Local is a change marketing consultancy based in Atlanta, Georgia, even if I don't sound like I'm from here. Um, We work with some of the biggest companies in the world, uh, helping them bring new initiatives, technologies, processes, uh, vision, values, training programs, anything new inside that needs to embed inside a large company. We help them understand their culture and then use communication, marketing, to bring that new initiative to employees in a way that they want to know about it, want to learn about it, want to use it or do it. Right. And um, a little bit of your background, I was looking into your LinkedIn and I see you've had various different experiences in different industries. If you kind of want to touch on, you know, how you got started, um, what you were inspired by when you were venturing out into the corporate world and kind of like a high level of how that panned out uh, up to the point where you decided to start your own company. You mean how the hell does a British guy end up in Atlanta, Georgia? That, that question. Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, I go way back to growing up in a small town in, in uh, the Midlands, about an hour, hour and a half north of London, um, and leaving school at 16 um, to do the thing that I'm still insanely passionate about, which is uh, motor racing. I joined an F1 team age 16 as a trainee. I was an apprentice. Um, and I was going to learn how to build Formula One cars, but uh, I learned something on that journey. I was there for three years. That actually what I really wanted to do was drive the cars, not design or build them for other people. Um, mm-hmm. So my journey into marketing came from a chance encounter with the marketing guy there. Um, the engineers who were incredibly talented, incredibly dedicated, worked every single hour um, of the day and night building these incredible cars. This is the Benetton Formula One team. Um, long time ago and uh the marketing guy seemed to sort of roll in later than them um leave earlier than them drove a cool car seemed to seem to do do cool things i went and asked him what he did after you know a couple of weeks of 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 learning from him i quit and now i'm in marketing so that's where i started out um since then i've worked in the agency world advertising agency world in uh, london took a Pause, launched a film company, worked in the film industry for a couple of years there. Um, film industry is fascinating and there's absolutely no money in it for 99% of people who actually want to build a career. So that was a expensive but enjoyable lesson. Um, came back from that into the marketing's kind of been a rebound for me a few times. From there, uh, moved to Amsterdam and started a denim company, another passion of mine. Um, was probably like the film business. My film business was a uh, digital cinema. So watching films online, we did the world's first feature film premiere um, online in 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, when you had to pay dollars for bandwidth. Um, Mm -hmm. And we had, we sold 300 tickets to a feature film called The Plague, which probably no one over here would have heard of. A little indie movie. But we got it out there um, and then it got picked up and actually got theatrical release after that. So I guess that's a win. Uh, but we, did, really we cool. could never really, never really make any money out of it. We were paying more for bandwidth than I could charge in tickets. You know, we were trying, we were trying to build this thing. If I'd have known about YouTube back then, my gosh. 
Um, and the film, the, the, the denim business was the same. Uh, we had uh, an idea to curate the best handmade selvage denim from around the world, from Japan, from Italy, from the US, and then sell it to uh, denim enthusiasts all around the world. You know, the, the guys in the US don't know how to get hold of this incredible stuff made in Sweden. Mm-hmm. The guys in, in the UK struggling to get the Japanese stuff. We were going to solve that problem. But in 2007, it was a little bit too early for fashion online. You know, before Zappos and, you know, any of the other incredible platforms now. So uh, we pioneered there for a little bit. But again, a couple of years doing that and um, another lesson and ended up back in the marketing world. Built my career there since then as a um, a strategist, a planner. So, um, you know, the the research, the insight, the um, strategic space that a brand or a new product might want to inhabit. Uh, to to make a dent in the lives of the people we're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. Traveled um, with that from Amsterdam to San Francisco and then working with Coca-Cola and did, um, ended up going from the agency side to the client side and ran digital marketing for Coke, um, which got me here to, uh, to Atlanta in about 10 years ago, something like that. We um, I ran the, some of the World Cup program for the Brazilian World Cup in 2014, which for uh, any soccer fans listening in, the, I was a USA fan for longer than I was an England fan on that, in that <laughs> tournament because we sucked and you guys were, were pretty damn good. Um, uh, in Tim, we trust, if I remember, the goalkeeper was fantastic. Um, right. And so, and so uh, do in, in, but my experience inside a large corporation show, gave me incredible, a unique opportunity to see the power of culture firsthand. I've been in the business of creating ideas and selling ideas to, uh, to, to big brands for years. And then as those ideas are realized, you know, and as they travel through that company, you see them get kind of chopped up, chewed up. Um, they get smaller, they get more complicated, they get less mean, powerful. Do you mean um, as the ideas travel up the hierarchy? Well, not just up, but out. If you think about, um, let's take a, 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 new, a new advertising idea for a brand. Okay. There's a half dozen people in the room that you're sharing, you're presenting that idea to, but every one of them has not just bosses, but colleagues and peers. And some of those peers work in the sales team or the customer team or the technology team or the HR team. You know, and when you actually add up all those people, there's an awful lot of different uh, perceptions, different objectives, um, different needs coming from all those different groups. And that's just one country. Most of the brands we work with operate in 30, 40, 50 countries. With the World right, Cup, right. it was about 175 countries. Mm-hmm. So Especially we've, we've Coca-Cola. Got get, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, uh, at Coca-Cola, we're everywhere. Um, so how do, you, how do you make one idea work for everybody? And, and um, it's an incredibly difficult challenge. And, and what we found is we didn't really no one really tried to make it work. We just tried to sort of sell it, do this. Here's why it's good without thinking about what they actually needed from it. Um, and I think that realization that culture and cultural dysfunction, cultural misalignment between all of these different groups is way more powerful than any idea that you can have. And over, over the years, we, we, we think of it like, you know, creating a new idea is like uh, growing a new uh, growing a, a beautiful, perfect little strawberry. So you've, you've planted the seed and you've nurtured it and, and, and you're, you're sharing this thing. 
to, to you know showing people how, how perfect this thing is and then what we do once we everybody agrees that this is this is you know it is really perfect is then we toss it into this giant blender you know all these teeth clashing and whirring around um, and we just hope it survives the journey and, and and that blender all of those people all of those teams all of those other groups that we haven't engaged or listened to through this process i mean it, they just chop it up and when that little strawberry comes out like a smoothie on the other side everyone's really disappointed but no one thought to maybe you know look in the blender and see what's in there or you know figure out how to avoid the teeth or maybe coat that that strawberry in a little uh suit of armor so it can it can bounce off the teeth on the way through um it, it, right. a silly a, a silly kind of metaphor but it makes sense to me in, in no, that's terms a really of, good way to put it and that's a really good way to put it um the, you the teeth a, are sharp and they hurt right the strawberry is soft you know? right and that just speaks to, I guess, the systems within companies that have existed. Um, you know, it, through my experience, I've observed something similar where departments kind of complain about why certain things are not up to par. And um, there are a lot of sort of internal chess moves being made that take away from the overall productivity. And in the context that you're speaking in is purely about culture and um well, I want to hear more about what the sort of impact that you kind of wanted. What was the end result with this train of thought in terms of I want the strawberry to, I guess, be left alone. But what will the strawberry do? Like, what's the end <laughs> result? Well, and, and everybody who conceives, conceives a new idea has an, a, a, you know, a successful end result in their head. Right? I've got a new piece of technology and everyone's going to use it. I'm designing this new process and it's going to save us, you know, 10% in, uh, in wasted time or improve our productivity. You know, mm -hmm. all any, anything, I've got a new advertising, new creative idea, which is going to win new, new, the attention of new customers. Um, the, for us seeing the blender and every company has one, it's, you know, it, it's, we, we work with companies in almost every, uh, industry now. And, and I see the same, types of things in, in, in every one um was that no one thinks about the blender everyone everyone is in the business business of creating new ideas so um folks in my world if we're talking about you know entrepreneurship people who work in agencies create new agencies that uh, and and their mission is to have better ideas and that's definitely valuable but what we saw is it it really doesn't matter how good those ideas are if if no one's taking care of the integration part of it no one's thinking about the blender and so local the idea for local came from well what if we looked in the blender what if we what if we worried about that more than the idea what if we helped ideas travel so that we can partner with idea creators and we do whether it's you know a, an, an agency with a new creative idea and they need every employee in a huge company to believe in it or a, a, a technology company with a new platform and they want every employee to use it so it actually is complementary to the to the idea creators in the world, and so that's 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 where our this journey sort of like landed out was um, we saw something that was underserved, we saw something that wasn't being cared for, and we saw the impact of not caring for that on the very thing that I spent ten or fifteen years being paid to do, which is develop new ideas. Right, so and that's, that's really uh, really cool. Um, I did want to go back a little bit and ask you about your desire to sort of want to solve problems. 
it feels like you ventured out into various different um, industries and didn't really leave anything, any of your um, desires or passions untouched or untapped. And I'm sure you have many more, as you said um, earlier before we started recording, but I want to hear about your desire to want to solve problems and your sort of motivation at the early stages when there's a lot of uncertainty and you don't know if you can, for example, succeed in, you know, uh, filmmaking or succeed uh, in, in terms of starting a clothing brand, um, a denim yeah. company rather, you know, where did that desire come from for you? <laughs> so my wife and I have been together uh, for 20 years and she calls it like turbulence. She thinks I like turbulence. She thinks I like it when, when things are bumpy. Mm-hmm. I don't like <laughs> it when the plane's just flying smooth. You know, it's like, it, let, let's drop 10,000 feet, see what that feels like. Um, so I think there's a little bit, a little bit of that that um, get easily bored by uh, the way things work. But I, I'll, I'll answer it in a, in a maybe, maybe or when, when things work, it's boring. Um, but I'll answer it in a more maybe meaningful way, which is, and I think everybody has this in a, in, in a certain way. You just want to like make a difference, make an impact, you know, do something that hasn't been done or do something um, that, that needs to be done. Um, the, every one of the ideas that I've struck upon, and I've launched three companies, but I have, I've had 10 times as many ideas that I didn't take to, you know, a, uh, a, a limited company or, you know, investment or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, every single one of them is just, you know, it's, there's, there's no genius in at all. It's actually just a desire that I have. And then you go and ask other people and they have the same thing. I want to watch independent films and there's no way to do that because in, in the, um, in this, the theater, it's just the big blockbusters. And this is, I'm talking about a time when can you, if you can cast your mind back to the last time you went in a blockbuster video, you know, store. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in my local store, it was a pretty big store. I remember but there were walls and walls of DVDs back in the mid 2000s. And, but they weren't all different, right? There was, there was 25 of the latest Nicolas Cage movie or whatever the you know, big blockbuster was, right? All on one right. wall. And then there was a bunch of indie movies in a box underneath the counter. And I like indie movies. I'm, I'm digging through there looking for you know, a Korean movie or a, a low budget British movie or whatever and, and can't get it. So that was where the, that idea came from. The same thing goes for, for, for denim, which is, um, unless you live in Brooklyn or London or, you know, a handful of other places, you can get hold of this stuff. You know, you have to, there's, there's one store. This is before people were really shopping online. So you'd either have to travel or you'd have to make do with Levi's or Wrangler or whatever else was, you know, in your local town. Mm-hmm. And I think at the, at the time I lived really close to some great stores in Amsterdam. Amsterdam is a fantastic denim community, but I had buddies that were all over the UK and they were, they were like, where did you get them from? Can you get me some of those? So it's just, a, you know, just listening and, and learning. But what I realize is I, that you also need to recognize the mass need for it rather than the micro need. So on those first two, I was too early because I didn't, it, the, the infrastructure wasn't there. Where we are today, I actually think that we hit the timing about right, where companies are starting to recognize, starting to feel the pain of failed implementations. That's one side of it. They're starting to, see, to feel the, the hurt, the cost of the technology um, uh, integration that didn't work or that mm-hmm. took two years longer than it was supposed to. But there's something else happening on the other side, which is way more important. And um, if you ask me why we do what we do, it's 
yes, it's to help companies, but more importantly, it's to help employees. And I'm sure you've read about this stuff. Um, it's all being hooked under this moniker of the great resignation. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, most people at work are unhappy. I think the number is like 66%. So two thirds of adults in America are unhappy at work, unhappy with the thing that they spend half their waking lives doing. Think about that. You, right. Who wants to be miserable most days? Mm-hmm. And yet that's what's happening. And I'm, I'm not talking about, um, you know, some of the entrepreneurs that you or I would know, you know, it's just folks with um, regular jobs, driving trucks, working a counter, working in a warehouse, working in an office, logistics, administration, finance, all of those different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it cuts across the board of every company. It's not that everybody at um, one company is happy and everyone's sat at another. It, it really is outside of a handful of, of special places. It really is a sort of epidemic. And why is um, that? Well, that's the thing. Um, the research is only really starting to uncover that mm. recently. And I think that what's because of this thing, the great resignation, which is basically just that um, people have had enough and they're seeing opportunity elsewhere. And with everything that happened during the lockdown, um, opportunities have just opened up in a, in a, in a huge way. And, but when you actually look at not the reasons, not, not where they're going, but the reasons why they're leaving, when they're actually you know, asked, why is it you want to go somewhere else? It's not about paycheck. It's actually about being valued. They don't feel valued. They feel um, undermined, undercared for, underrespected under-recognized, right? all of these more emotional things that, um, that we kind of need to affirm the fact that our time on this planet is worth something. Absolutely. And that, that's the missing piece. And, and a lot of what we try and do is to bring value and impact to you know, frontline employees through the access or application or by grabbing some of these new ideas. Hey, this new, new piece of technology is going to help you grow in your career as opposed to it's going to save the company money and it really can if you if you if you set it up in the right way um and that, i think that's that's what people are looking for we're um yeah go ahead oh no um uh, that's really really cool to hear i think it's extremely important especially in a at a time like this where you know people realize they do have the option to leave um now i don't know how that plays out long term for a lot of people you know, maybe cashing out of your 401k now seems like a good idea, taking the little hit. And then, you know, down the line, I don't know how this is going to play out. Because personally, I don't think everybody sort of has that, I guess, has the tolerance to be an entrepreneur. I think there's a lot more misery and sadness and emotion, emotional sort of uh, turbulence that comes with the entrepreneurial route than there is if you just work for a company. Um, but I do see it from that perspective where you feel like you're not valued and you're essentially replaceable. Well, t- um, let's, um, let's, let's drag at that for a second. Cause a, a, sure. a very smart person once told me, um, and, and she was six or seven years into a freelance career. She didn't want to create a company. She just wanted to be our own boss. Mm-hmm. And she said, there is a delusion of stability in full-time employment and a delusion of instability in freelance or entrepreneurial life. And I think she's right. I think that loyal, the time was that you were loyal to the company and the company was loyal to you. That's gone. Um, and, but the loyalty eroded on the company side, I think, before it eroded on the employee side. 
as, as in um, you see your you see your friend who's worked there for 10 years with you just get laid off because there was a bad quarter or there was a restructure mm-hmm. um, and that happens you know and, and you see that and suddenly your the ground beneath you starts to feel less secure um, the the and and when that happens to you you're kind of helpless for a little bit um, you know you will pick yourself up and there are incredible amount of opportunities like I said out there right now so um, you know there's there's a lot of hope for most people that that happens to but at least if you are and i'm not advocating everyone becomes an entrepreneur but at least if you are on that side of it you get to decide you get you know you get a contract terminated or some something finishes you but it's up to you it's always been up to you to find the next thing and if you're smart you've got four or five or 10 or 15 or 20 things already in the hopper that you can you can go grab um it's like you know, if you're in a full-time job, you're, you're sitting on a stool with one big leg. Whereas an entrepreneur, you're, you know, you're on an eight-legged stool. Someone pulls a leg away, you're still fine. But if someone pulls that, that single leg away on that single-legged stool, you're going to crash to the ground. Um, and, and I like that. Um, of course, there's no, you know, there's no safety net like you can have with a company that if you, you know, if something, you have a problem, chances are you can still stay in the job and, 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 and make amends. Here, if, you know, in entrepreneurial life, if you have a problem, you, chances are you're going to lose something. But at least you get to pick yourself back up again. And what I like about there not being a not being a safety net, there's also no ceiling. You can make it as big as you want to be, uh, which I've always enjoyed. And I, I think I'm mostly unemployable now. Because a great quote. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's a great quote by Naval. Um, a ta- oh, yeah. a, a little fan. taste of freedom or something, a taste of freedom can make you unemployable. Oh yeah. And it's, yeah. Not, I I've mean, got, it's I've, certainly true. I've got, I've got a book of his quotes um, at home and, and there's an awful lot of wisdom there. He's a modern day philosopher. I love it. Absolutely. He's one of the smartest people out there providing free value and free content. And that can even yeah. sort of, you know, speak to what, entrepreneurship is in this day and age i think the term is being conflated with content creator um drop shipper investor it's kind of an umbrella term and that's the perspective that i kind of speak from when i say i don't think everybody can fall into that category because if you've worked in a certain industry for 10 years and all of a sudden you want to start a company well, it depends on what company you want to start and do you have experience in that industry? I think it's extremely valuable to work in the corporate environment, in a specific industry, get some cross-functional exposure and then come out and seek to disrupt that industry or create a product for a niche um, market within that industry. Kind of like you, through your experience, you've created something that is in alignment with your experiences meaning having experienced those feelings probably firsthand and watched people experience those feelings firsthand. But it's slightly difficult, and this is just purely my opinion. We'll get into what local does and how it solves that problem. But from my experience, I feel like it is important to get that exposure first. Um, And if you're undervalued, I think there's benefit in realizing that you're also kind of learning at somebody else's expense. You're not liable if the company folds. You're not liable to the shareholders um, if you don't perform or if the quarter, you know, uh, expected sort of revenue for the quarter isn't met. 
And it's like a great sort of environment in that regard. Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I was an apprentice um, and we uh, just launched our first apprenticeship here because of that exact point that you made. Um, we have a philosophy that, um, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can grow and any job is about growth, any role that you take. So um, we actually ask everybody that comes to work with us, what do you want to be? Not what do you not what do you want to do here, but what do you want to be? And then how does this help? Because should, we should be under no illusions that, you know, there's a 30 year service and a gold watch at the end of working with us. It's, right. it's we are a chapter in somebody else's story. Uh, and, you know, you heard my story. I'm I'm not really a believer in one career. Um, I I love the idea that that career is more of a um you know a, a collect a, multiple careers a collection of things i don't even know what you would what you would call it but it's not one path yeah it's not one path it's a it's a series of adventures and i i'm i, I regard myself as a as a sort of as an adventurer when it comes to working rather than someone with a career in mind so when you know i, I always like to ask people where do you want to go uh rather than what do you want to be and Oftentimes you can get a, you get a good answer and, and you'd be surprised how many people have their own ideas and their own ambitions to, to do something themselves. And so then we, when we know, we say, well, how can we help? And the, all the, my working experience and all those different facets is probably, no, definitely the most valuable education I had outside of any other. And I, and I think that that's getting even more true. The development of EQ in working environments, in, particularly in social working environments, you know, we, it's been tough the last couple of years to have those connections, but that's so much more important than theoretical education. Um, and so that, just that, in developing that through, through your interactions with colleagues, peers, leaders, and, you know, in a working environment is so incredibly powerful. And then what you said is also true. You get to see what, what's wrong. You get to see what's broken. You get to see what's missing. And then you can go and create that. Um, it may be a Naval quote. I can't remember this, but, you know, or at least he's taken it and done something with it. But there's, you know, there's very few new things. Most, most new things are actually just an amalgamation of, of, of two things that already exist. You know, Absolutely. this plus this solves that new problem. We, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to our own horn for only a second, but um, what we do at local, we call it change marketing. So that's, Everything we know about consumer marketing melded together with some of the more progressive models from organizational models from change management. So we apply marketing to change. We have that trademark. We have a productized process that goes with that. Um, because you can learn from both of those worlds as a solution to this problem that you see. Um, and so I, I, I love that. And I think that I have a 12-year-old and she... You know, we, we talk all the time about, you know, where do you want to go in life? What do you want to be? And she wants to have her own business, doesn't she? She, she's, she gets that sense that that is the way to be, to be happier and more fulfilled. And, her, her, and she's not alone. It's, it's not just because I'm doing what I'm doing. Her friends are the, the same way. You know, I think gone are the days where um, people say, oh, you know, I, when I grow up, I really want to be a lawyer or an accountant and there's no disrespect to lawyers and accountants because they're you know incredibly smart and and we need them but um mm -hmm. i think that the the pathways ahead for people are so much there's so many more now um and and that then think about what that does for education opportunities 
do you need to go to you know an Ivy League college or a, you know a really good university in my world over in the UK and and it, to get where you want to go is that the right thing or are there five other ways that you can get there including apprenticeships you know and uh, you know different kinds of learning and I, I think that's fascinating absolutely uh, and, uh, I'm very I, hopeful for it no I, I definitely agree with you on that sense in that sense and I just want to provide a little bit of a pushback it, just from my perspective because I think it's important to have a conversation around it um, too much of sort of speaking to the effect that you know there there are all these possibilities and all these pathways while it's good for an individual to have those opportunities i think at on some level it's important to figure out which one you're destined for or which one you're really kind of made for in a way and i don't mean that in a limiting way like put yourself in a box immediately when you turn 18 decide what major you got to pick and that's the path for the rest of your life but i mean in the sense that Yes, you have all these possibilities, but which one are you actually going to be good at? And I think the time that one can spend trying to figure that out is, in my opinion, you know, the time that we spend at university. And if you're if you're at an Ivy League university, you're around people that are trying to figure it out themselves at a high level. A lot of people that created the most influential companies came from those schools, and a couple of them dropped out of those schools. And I just speak from that perspective purely because I think it's important to recognize the value in the traditional sense and recognize how to leverage the valuable elements from the traditional path to then create a path of freedom. Totally. And and I think it's a, it's a really good push. I guess if I frame it slightly differently, which is, Less about figuring out what job you want to do and more about figuring about figuring out who you are. I think that's what you're saying. Right. Um, that because almost everyone that, that I know that is successful is successful because they have good complementary partners. Very few people can build everything on their own. There's the True. occasional polymath, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I got to learn through my experiences who I am and what I'm good at. And then was lucky enough to find partners who have complementary skills, passions. So when you put it all together, you get a pretty rounded mix. And I think it's that. And yes, you, you can definitely find that in, 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 a, um, in a good school or university. But I think that I guess where, I'm, where I was getting at was it doesn't never necessarily have to be the only path or the most desired path anymore. For some, it's absolutely, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but I love I love. I love the idea of choice. Um, and uh, that's something, by the way, that, that I find incredibly refreshing about um, being here compared to where I grew up. There's, there's more choice here in the US. Um, there's more optimism. There's more, um, there's more support. There's more, um, you know, kind of cheering on and pushing rather uh, and than, than I experience in the, in the UK, um, which, I, which I love. So I, I think if, you know, it's, the U.S. is going to be at the forefront of some of this good positive change. At least that's, that's my view as a as a as a happy um, expat living here. Right, and you know, especially as more individuals like you start companies like local, that just kind of creates a more positive environment for everybody, um, and it just adds to you know 
the, it, it just puts fuel towards the direction that I think we all need to move towards as human beings. It kind of make it like a little bit, you know, meta in the sense. Um, and we kind of briefly touched on this, or you, you briefly touched on this before. Um, you know, we don't know why we're here and we want to be valuable while, while, while we're still on this planet. Um, I think a lot of our values are um, coming from sort of negative sources are the value system of a lot of people. In my opinion, just what I observe is not necessarily right. And I think that's just a core problem of culture in a way, just the way we've, um, you know, the, the things that we've allowed to blossom and the things that we've put in higher places that influence us and influence the younger generation in, in the incorrect direction, incorrect in the sense that we're seeing studies of how social media affects, um, you know, teens with their idea of themselves and body um, and everything else, like their body image. And it's just kind of in the macro sense, things are not great. And that's why I kind of believe in the traditional system. And I've, I feel like I'm in a unique position because I've experienced both aspects of it at a very young age. Um, I quit a corporate career to start my own company. And now I've gone back into the corporate world and it's, and I'm, I just turned 25 and it's interesting because when I was, when I was by myself, I was around all these people that were trying to do what I was trying to do. And while they're getting success or seeing bursts of success or moving in the right direction, connecting with the right people, having the right community around them or building a community rather with the same value, shared values, I could, I could see that there are a lot of sort of foul um, plays that were being played and people were being maneuvered in the wrong direction. And it's just, I know I'm kind of talking with some ambiguity, but it's just at the fundamental level, um, there needs to be a rewiring of what we value as, as a society. And I, th- yeah, I, be- I agree with that. Please go ahead and interject, but I think it's it's important to do that. And I'm curious to hear how that kind of um, how have you embedded that notion within your company? Like, what does local do to help employees feel valued? Because again, that's kind of where I was trying to tie it all back together. I think there's a lot of uh-huh. transactional relationships, and you know you can benefit from those, but how do you make somebody feel valued without taking away from the overall productivity? So um, there's a lot there and I'll, I'll, I'll go in on that last point. Um, the, you, in order to understand um, how to, how to make people feel valued you actually, at, at work, you actually have to understand what a company is. Um, most people mistake what a company is and and they they look at it as a collection of its physical assets right the um the the stuff it makes or the the buildings that it that it has or the land that it occupies whatever um the actual or the origination of the word company um is uh, from the french and it means the communion around bread it means coming together making something and sharing it um, which if you, you, you take that very simply, it, companies are actually just a collection of people. 
And so um, if you think of a company, not as a collection of its physical assets, but a, a, a collection of humans, mm-hmm. then you would treat that company, those humans differently. You would value them differently. Um, the, and I'm going to come back to the local sort of philosophy in a minute, but if you think about um, what companies do with assets, they manage them, organize them. Um, in, in an ideal world, you're looking for optimization and efficiency. So you're trying to make, trying to group assets into the smallest number of, of, of similar things as you can, and then optimize those things, buy in bulk and all that, that, that lovely stuff. Which historically, we've tried to do the same thing with human beings. That's why uh, the, the people department is called human resources, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, you know, we, we work a lot with HR teams and it, it, it really isn't what they do or what they're supposed to do um in 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 from the resource thinking standpoint um and it really should be renamed but i guess that's another story um the that the human beings in inside every company are the greatest um contributor of value in that company uh, they are its greatest asset in terms of value um yet we value them almost the least we try to we try to um, reduce our headcounts. We try to optimize as much as possible. We try to take the greatest thing about humans and eradicate it. And the greatest thing about humans is our creativity, our individual creativity. If you have a company of 100,000 people, that is like 100,000 unique individuals, each with the capacity for free, creative, lateral thought. Yet what we try and do is put them all into you know, a small number of buckets and try and make them all the same. Um, and so... In so doing, removing that capacity for lateral thought. Fun, fun uh, side note on, on this track. Um, I'm a huge fan of the late, great Sir Ken Robinson. If anybody's seen or listened to him, he's a fantastic TED talk about uh, school system being like a Victorian factory. But mm. through one of those, one of his, um, his lessons, I've seen him talk live, um, lucky to say, one of the last talks he gave at, at Summit in LA. Um, he talks about this test this, this well-respected test for genius. And uh, they were able to take a version of that test and um, let pre-K kids take it. And it turns out that 98% of pre-K kids are geniuses based on this test. Um, and then they did the same test for high school grads and 2% of high school grads are geniuses. So wow. the high school system, eradic- or the school system eradicates genius. This is the point he was making. Um, but I think that companies do the same thing. We try to hire incredible, diverse, you know, talent. And then we try and organize it all to almost eradicate the, 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 the free thinking creativity, to creativity that comes from that. Um, that is one of the reasons that people don't feel valued is that they, they come bringing things, but they're not asked to use those things. They're not asked to, um, you know, even to, to solve a problem like we were talking about earlier. Just do the job that you're told. Um, that they're asked to comply rather, rather than create. And so that, and then they're not recognized for anything other than the compliance. Mm-hmm. So actually the, the, the chance to make things better is not really incentivized often. There's a, there's a change coming with that, uh, we, we, which we're starting to see with a lot of the clients that we're working with, where that hasn't, the, the, the realization that this doesn't work is coming through. It doesn't work. And so there might be a, actually a better way to, ha- to understand and harness 
this talent to recognize people, to put those people at the center of the company rather than at the edge. And so um, what we did with local in the five years that we've built is we started with that philosophy, which is this company is its people. Every person here is an individual. Every person here brings a unique perspective to the work that we do. And every person here um, has their own ambition. Our job is to foster that ambition, their growth, and in so doing benefit from their passion, creativity, and their um, happiness at the company. And that manifests in all kinds of different ways from the usual things like flexible working um, and, 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 and those kind of things to the way in which we approach things like learning and development, which is it's your budget, go learn whatever you want, as opposed to we'd like you to learn this particular thing. Um, and and it, we, we, we try and sort of live and breathe it through, through simple values so that um, we're able to grow when we are growing, I'm happy to say, but we're able to grow without losing that kind of, without diluting that as we, as we go. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's tough. You have to pay attention. And you know, I, I know most of the folks listening to this are either, you know, on their own entrepreneurial journeys or thinking about that. Just if I can leave one thing, it's take that. Like what you're actually building is a group of people. And if you can free them, empower them to, to be their best selves, cliche i know but it's kind of what i mean um <laughs> they will they will save you and grow you in ways you haven't even thought about and it's kind of incredible to watch and as an entrepreneur as an owner you benefit from that too you benefit from it financially but you also benefit from emotion from it emotionally where you actually get to to be the one fostering others growth and that's that's pretty cool that's a reason to get up in the morning 100 percent um I think that's a great place to end this. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Please feel free to let everybody know where they could find you, learn more about the company and anything else that you have. Yeah, and, and thanks to you. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, it, best place to find us is localindustries.com. Um, I'm actually having a social media uh, hiatus right now. It's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, localindustries.com is uh, where we're, publishing stuff that we're doing um you can check us out on linkedin as well for, from the company perspective um and uh if you're an entrepreneur working in our space of employee experience or uh you know culture and change we'd love to hear from you